Thank you guys for having me again. Um, so this morning we're going to be going over the wellspring verse, Proverbs 4.23, that talks about the wellspring of your heart. It's where we get the name wellspring. It's where we get what we talk about at, at Grace Bible Church, what's become sort of lingo at Grace Bible Church of guard your heart or how are you doing shepherding your heart. That concept is all over scripture. But I think it's maybe most succinctly presented here in Proverbs 4.23. So what what we're going to do this morning for an hour and a half is go over sort of what what you do every week at the beginning where you turn over to the back of your binders. You, You remind yourselves, we remind ourselves what Wellspring is all about and what our lives need to be all about. First is, right, so you can do that. Go over to the back of your binder. Right, the first discipline, the first discipline is guarding your heart, right? Or guard the wellspring, shepherd your heart. Um, and, and so what we're going to do is this is going to be an extended study and maybe discussion of what that actually entails. We're going to see that it's easy to be convinced of the necessity to guard your heart. Hopefully that by considering some of what the Bible says about the practice of guarding our heart, you're going to be better equipped to do it and maybe more aware of some areas in which you're not. And moving out of that, right, you never want to be a person who's shepherding your home unless you're one who's shepherding your heart. We must, you must be women. I must be a man who's able to care well for my home. But God wants a certain woman, a certain person to be that one who steps into the home, into the lives of your roommates husbands, kids, whoever you live with. God wants you to be a certain kind of woman to do that. And that's one who's cared well for her soul, cared well for her heart. Right? And before you would be able to step into ministry, step out into the body, there's a certain kind of woman who God would love to use. And that would be one who's already been caring well for her heart. Been manifesting that through a a gospel-centered, selfless, um, looking-to-yourself-first kind of care for your home. That's the kind of woman God would love to use in, in ministry. So that's why we have the disciplines in the order that we have them. And that's why the elders have tried to have this order, these three things, shepherd your heart, home, and the ministry. We've tried to have that permeate Grace Bible Church. It's something that we can never move on from, right? It's not something you say, oh, I took Wellspring last year. I took it a couple of years ago. I heard this. I got this wired. I'm so grateful that I get to come every year. It's turned into a, a routine now. I get to come and, and open up Proverbs 4.23 and teach twice a year to, to the women of Wellspring. And it's been so good for my soul. It's something that I can't forget. It's something that I forget easily that I can't forget and it's so good to remind myself of. So as I'm talking this morning, um, I am preaching much more to myself than I am to you. You sort of get the benefit of listening in on my study of of Proverbs 4.23 and reminding myself of some of what the Bible has to say on these things. So just know that that is the truth, that I am, if I sound preachy, I am preaching to myself. I'm not... I'm not standing up here teaching you as one who says, hey, I got this wired. I, I know exactly how to 
guard my heart. I do it perfectly. Um, I am literally a, a beggar helping another beggar find the bread, and I know where to go for that, and that's Scripture. So let's open our, our Bibles up to Proverbs 4.23 together. We're going to be in a different, few different places in the Bible. You probably already have this verse memorized. I heard you guys did this as homework, was to look at this. Um, if you don't already have it memorized, we certainly will by the end of today. Um, but let me pray before we get started. God, this is a privilege that we have to have your word in our language. And God, you knew exactly what we needed when you gave us your word. Most of all, we need you. And this is where you reveal yourself to us. And God, apart from you, the God who said, let light shine, apart from you shining into our hearts to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, apart from your saving work, we would not want to turn here. God, we were separate from you, apart from you, at enmity with you. And you saved us. God, you changed our affections. You changed our heart from the core of who we were. Turned us from God-haters into God-lovers. Turned us from slaves to sin, to slaves to righteousness. In every single one of our sins, God, you took the penalty of that and you placed it on your Son. So God, as we talk about our sin today, I pray that we would do so in light of the gospel, that we would remember that this sin is paid for and done, the power and penalty have been done away with, and that we would nevertheless hate our sin, that we would strive all the more to be done with it, to live lives pure and holy for you. God, I pray that this morning would be effective in my life, for accomplishing your sanctifying purposes. And I pray that this morning would be effective in the lives of these women for that same purpose. God, we love you. And we know that we only love you because you first loved us. I pray that as we have the Bible open on our laps, that your spirit would superintend my words. If I say anything that's not true, God, please either make that make me aware of that as I say it, but more importantly, God, I, I pray that you would guide my words, that you would keep them tethered closely to Scripture, that what I say would be an accurate reflection of your word. And I pray that where your word is clearly taught and accurately taught, it would be effective. In Jesus' name, we pray and beg. Amen. Okay, so you can see at the... Let me see exactly what you're looking at on your notes. You can see at the top, there's a quote from Charles Bridges. It talks about the heart, the soul of who you are, sort of in terms of how, of how Solomon thinks of the soul. Here in Proverbs 4.23, like a castle that must be guarded, the center of a kingdom from which all else in the kingdom flows. Um, or a vital well source that must be guarded. And, and he says, if the citadel be taken... The whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, 
the whole man, the affections, desires, motives, pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart, the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It is, a, it is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. And that's what we're going to discuss today at length. So we will learn from Solomon's inspired words one simple, incredible, powerful, and absolutely necessary fact. Armed with this fact, we're going to understand the importance of the battle for our hearts. We'll be better equipped to pursue God, better equipped to fight sin, better equipped to accomplish all the disciplines of wellspring and really just the disciplines of what it means to be a Christian. So in Proverbs 4.23, there's a what, a why, and a how. Let's look at it and just read read the verse and see if you can figure it out for yourself. It's, I'm going to read from, well, let's just say, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Do you see the what of Proverbs 4.23? There's a command, keep your heart. And there's a why. You see the why? It's because, or for, it's the wellspring of life. And then there's a how. And that's above all else. And you can look at the, the various translations. I broke it out for you. Sometimes it's helpful just to observe a verse in, in multiple translations. It's, we could say the what could be keep your heart, watch over your heart, guard your heart. All of those might capture different nuances of the Hebrew behind the command. Basically, it's keep an eye. <laughs> be very Well, keep an eye, guard it, watch it. Sort of like a, a watchman would care for a, a precious treasure or, like, or a, um, a soldier would watch after the post that he's commissioned to look after. Keep it, watch it, guard it. And then uh, what is he to, to, to watch? His heart. And uh, how is he to watch it? With all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. And why is he to do it? Well, because it's the source of life. And we're going to go section by section through that, so I won't explain every aspect of that now. Basically, the outline for today is we're just going to go through that what, why, and how. Okay, so Proverbs 4.23, it's easy to understand. I'm sure you have it memorized. And if you don't, just close your eyes. What's the what? Guard your heart. What's the how? With all vigilance. What's the why? It's the wellspring of life. And have you ever sinned? And I know you have. But have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? And like, I, that's not me, right? That came out of the blue. Exploded at your kids. Had a thought that just gross enter your mind. A thought that you're even embarrassed to consider now. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Exploding at your roommates, short temper with your husband, anger at your children entertaining sinful fantasies, maybe just laziness, lying, gossip, 
Those things come out of us. Where do they come from? Well, Proverbs 4.23 will help us get at the root of these sins. It will prepare us for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem. Okay, so the, the inspired Solomon gives a profound illustration for our lives. He says, we can think of everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say, everything in our life, all that comes out of us, we can think of that as flowing water. Okay, and all of that water has a common source, and that's the wellspring, right? That's our heart. Uh, That's why it, it says in some other versions, it's the source of life. Or from it flow the springs of life. If you want to say, where did this water come from? You follow it back to the source, right? There's a river, follow it back up to the source. It comes from the wellspring. He says, everything that we do in life is just like that. And it might sound pretty simple. Pretty simplified way to look at our life, and it is. But it's true. And it has profound consequences. If we understand this, it will reveal the relationship between our heart and our actions. Right? It'll help us know that there is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or put another way, there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. I'm going to say that again. Just think through. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. And there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. We're going to actually see later on this, the flip side as well. There's nothing that you do in your life that doesn't affect your heart. It's a vitally connected circuit, right? Everything that comes out of your life comes from your heart. Everything that you do in your life feeds back and will affect your heart. this, This is a simple truth, but it's important to consider. The the images of a city's vital water source, pure water at the source, will provide everyone in the city with pure water. But what happens if that source is contaminated? There's no hope for pure water. God didn't design a system where we put like a reverse osmosis thing down the pipe. It's what comes out of the source is what flows out of our hearts. Or is what flows out of our life. And this is a problem because the Bible describes our heart, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. We've looked already at the verse um, before, I believe, in, in Wellspring. I think you guys have, have heard about this, Jeremiah 17.9. You guys, um, it says, it's, the heart is deceitful above all, all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All right, so think about what Proverbs just said. The heart's the wellspring of life. God describes the heart prior to conversion in Jeremiah 17.9 as deceitful above all things, desperately sick, beyond understanding. And then consider in Genesis 6.5, the first description of the heart in the Bible. Consider that God saw, or, and consider what God saw in man's heart, and he was consi- he was moved to kill everybody but Noah and his family when he saw it. 
You just open up your Bible to Genesis 6-5. This is an important verse to consider. Genesis 6-5. I actually got to teach this verse to my daughter the other day. And so simple and understandable that a five-year-old could get it. And it moved us to quickly, um, oh, moved her to hopelessness. And then the gospel was, was great news. And I pray that that would be the effect here as well. This is an accurate description of who you and I were. Maybe who some of you still are, if you're apart from God's work. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Consider that. Every intention, not most, not some, every single intention of man's heart was only evil continually. And in case you might think, oh, those wicked people way back in Genesis 6, the flood didn't fix the problem. Right? The that description of man's heart is still just as true today. One of the first stories after the flood demonstrated through Noah's actions, his son's actions, up sins alive and well. And the rest of the Bible is testimony to that. And you're in my life as testimony to that as well. Right? So there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring. This wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually. So based on Proverbs 4.23, what would you expect to come from a woman with this evil life source? It's like a, we're going to do a little math today. I wrote it on your sheet. It's a little math problem. Proverbs 4.23 plus Genesis 6.5, what does that equal? Well, Romans 3, 10 through 12, right? Quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3, or it's Romans 3, 10 through 12, I'm going to read from. It says exactly what we would expect the Bible to say if Proverbs 4, 23 and Genesis 6, 5 were true. If we all have poisoned wellsprings, if we all have wicked hearts and everything we do comes from our hearts, we'd expect the Bible to say that none is righteous, right? Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they have all, we have all become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Right? No one naturally has a good heart. No, not one. And no one does good before God. Humanity is a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have unrighteous hearts. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation. This is very, very important. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people open up to Jeremiah 17.9, Genesis 6.5 to describe why they sin. As Christians, this is no longer us. This, this next part is vitally important to understand because it's going to be the, the foundation from which we understand how, as a Christian, you must shepherd your heart. 
you'll understand the futility of a non-Christian trying to obey this command. There's no good if you guard a wellspring full of poison. It's still going to be a poisonous, a poison-filled well. Right? It's going to do no good, but we're going to see something that's so important for you and I to recall in our fight against sin, in our struggle to guard our heart. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36.26 I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God promised Israel that one day he would give them a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. This hasn't happened yet for all of Israel, but it is what God does for us, for Christians, when he saves us as well. You had an old, dead heart of stone, Christian. And God gave you a new, soft, supple heart of flesh. This is what God did for us at salvation. God took an old dead heart and he put in a new heart full of life and love for him. John 3.3, you were born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. God has given you a new heart. We used to be slaves to sin because our heart was sinful. Right? You used to be obedient from your heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us in New Testament terms what God has done. Turn there and let's look at it. Romans 6.17 Right, we used to be slaves to sin because our heart was sinful. What came out of us, the sin that came out of us, came out of us because of the nature of our heart. Our disobedience flowed naturally from our naturally sinful hearts. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Thanks be to God. He starts out putting all the glory, all the thanks to right where it should be when you consider your obedience to God. God gets the glory because he's done it. That you, who were once slaves to sin, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. Praise God. We became obedient, not through coercion. We became obedient from the heart. God fixed the problem, right? We had these wicked hearts. Everything in our life flew out of, flowed out of that wicked heart. So everything that came out of us was wicked. God changed our hearts. John Flavel, 17th century Puritan, 
possibly my favorite author of all time outside of the Bible. He said it well. He said, The heart of man is his worst part before salvation. It is his best part after it. The heart of man is his worst part before salvation. It is his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that. Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives, and that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news. The gospel, that when God changes us, he changes our hearts. Right? The gospel isn't just God forgave you. That is great news. It isn't merely, as if this could be a merely, oh, your eternity is secure with God in heaven. Praise God. Right? It isn't only that God's adopted us as his sons, which he has. It's God changed us from our hearts. We're no longer who we once were. But everything else you learn today everything you resolve to do, sit under the shadow of that massive truth of the gospel. Okay? And if God has not changed you from the heart, but you're here just doing religious things, know for sure that your religious efforts are futile because they're not for God's glory. They're not from God. They flow from a wicked heart. And they're evil in God's eyes. Right? God isn't interested in religion, cleaning yourself up. Christianity is all about God changing you from the heart. Him taking care of the sin problem. Reconciling us to Him for His glory. All the good works that we do flow from the first good work that He did in changing us from the heart. Richard Baxter Another Puritan pastor wisely advised us. He said, Till the Spirit has renewed the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good while the heart is void of the Spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace, it's a hypocrite's religion. To pretend that you're holy through religious exercise and hard work while your evil heart remains unchanged. right? That's the religion of Pharisees. When you think back to what Jesus hated in the Pharisees and he condemned the most, it was this. And God will be glorified to judge that kind of religion. And its practitioners will spend an eternity under God's wrath. But praise God, he has no interest in religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Remember, we've become obedient from the heart. Romans 6.17 Your heart is therefore precious. It's precious not only because it's the source from which all your life flows, but it's precious because it was made new in the gospel. You were a slave to sin because your heart was sinful but now you're a slave to righteousness. Imagine the city. Let's go back to to Solomon's example. Imagine a city with a poisoned well. The city could not flourish. It would not flourish. In fact, the city would be full of death. 
Then imagine that one day a king filled in that old poisonous well and dug another one, one that was full of pure water. Immediately the city would become full of life, right? A life that it never knew before. Those who were weak, anemic, dying from poison, they would have a taste of that which they never knew, pure water. Their lives would immediately change. The nature of that city, the whole kingdom, would be different. Life-filled. And those people would know the importance of the wellspring, right? They would know the effects of a tainted well, and they would know the joys of purity. Those people would know the importance of a pure water source, and those people would never think, I wonder how much poison we could let back into that well and still be okay. Right? No, they would guard that well with all vigilance, with all diligence, because they knew that their very lives depended on it, and they knew the joy that purity brought. Christian, we are those people. In light of that illustration, consider the quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's at the bottom of page two. The poison of the soul. This is, think of that example. What is the poison that the people would never let in? They'd never wonder, how much poison could I let back in? What is it? What is that poison? Probably no, but we'll let Spurgeon explain it. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like to poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, it doesn't stay there, but it diffuses itself all over the body, and it doesn't stop until it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another. And from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, till the whole family, and stays not there, but runs like a wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. Did you see that right there? Charles Spurgeon is basically teaching through the Wellspring Disciplines and the effects of sin on them. Right? Sin entered into your heart. It will affect your heart. It will affect your whole, your whole life, your whole body. But it's not content to stay there. The effect of not guarding your heart, uh, that sin will infiltrate your family. And that sin would love to infiltrate the entire church. And a church contaminated is not going to stay self-contained. It's going to go out and affect other churches, even the whole world. Um, so, remember, I'd say, just think of this example when you consider the Wellspring Discipline 1, guard your heart, the effects of it go beyond you. Let me consider, ask you a question. What poison are you dabbling with? Remember purity? Think of that poison in light of that illustration of the kingdom with the poisoned well made pure. That kingdom would never ask, how much poison could I let back and still be okay? 
Are there any sins where you're going, wondering where the line is and you're creeping right up to that line? Or you're saying, you know what, I can handle this. It's not affecting me. What poison are you dabbling with? Remember purity. Long for purity. And don't stop at anything to guard your well. For the sake of your life, your home, and Grace Bible Church, guard your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. The truth that the heart is the wellspring of life, it leads very naturally to Solomon's command. The what at the beginning of Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. Okay, so, so now we're, we're going to do an extended meditation on the what. I know we've already started there, but top of page three, we're finally into our verse. And we're going to jump out to go to Proverbs 119 shortly. But the what of, the, of Proverbs 4.23 is keep your heart. Keep, watch, guard. It's an imperative. It's a command. This is not something optional. Neither is it something passive. Right? That's not a, a let your heart be watched or a let your heart be guarded. This is an active imperative. It's a, it's a command that you must do. Right? We have a new heart, but the flesh within, Satan and temptations without, they're constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin. So set up a guard around your heart. Let's, I want to consider something before we go on to, to guarding the heart. Another illustration. I have the benefit of, of doing anesthesia. I have the benefit of, of seeing the effects of a bad physical heart on the body. Um, regularly, people come to to me in, in my specialty, which is a lot of heart failure, people who've had a lifetime of not taking care of their heart, either a virus has infected it, or they've had a heart attack. Literally, when your heart gets sick, your physical heart becomes hard, not supple. It's weird. We'll sometimes put a camera down the throat to take a look at the heart, and if you see a heart that's sick, the blood can't expand it. If you see a nice, healthy heart, Blood comes in, it expands, gets real big, it ejects all the blood. And you look at the body and you're like, you, you can see a heart pumping, you see a picture of a heart and I can say, that's a healthy person. Or you see a picture of a heart that doesn't move. It's hard, you see the blood trying to get in and the heart doesn't expand and it doesn't really pump it out much, it just looks hard. And you can know that person's not going to be healthy. Right? You see a, a sick heart, all the rest of the organs are sick. Their brain is slow. Their kidneys don't work. You see a healthy heart. Everything else works well. You take somebody with a sick heart like that, heart that's not even moving. They're on the verge of death. You take that heart out. You give them a heart transplant. You see that person? It's crazy. Kidneys are dying. Lungs are bad. Liver's bad. They just look like death. You give them a new heart? Life re-enters that body. Right? That's what God's done. And it's crazy. Somebody who their whole life didn't take care of their heart, they get a heart transplant, 
their entire life now is focused on taking care of that new heart. Because they know what's going to happen if that heart goes bad again. Right? So that's just another way to think about exactly what God's done for us and the importance now of guarding our heart. So I'm not talking about guarding your heart like you might put a chain link fence up or install security cameras. Now that's what you do for sort of important things. Right? I mean, you have something sort of valuable. You hide it in the top drawer in your bedroom. But what do you do for the most valuable things? Um, Open your Bibles to Psalm 119, verse 9. And while you do that, I'm going to give another illustration. We'll consider the U.S. government, what they do for the most valuable things. I, I sort of considered that when I, when, we were, when I was first putting this together. What's the, mo- the common day example of what this guarding with all vigilance is? Well, the United States has NORAD. That's the North American Aerospace Defense Command. It's sort of the heart and soul of our country's defense. Uh, if we were attacked with a nuclear bomb, it's what we need to have intact. And uh, it's placed deep within the Cheyenne Mountains of Colorado, it's surrounded by 2,000 feet of granite on every side, enclosed by thick doors, blast valves. It has its own multi-million gallon water supply and a multitude of sensors constantly assessing for any and every threat to its own security and the security of our nation. Right, the United States says, we have something precious that we must guard. What are we going to do with it? I know, let's dig a hole 2,000 feet into a huge mountain. We'll put it in there. We'll protect it and we'll constantly be on watch against all threats. It could survive a near-direct hit with a nuclear, nuclear bomb. And this is the kind of guarding that God's word is exhorting us to. It's a modern-day equivalent to the walls and constant pressure of alert sentries that Solomon probably had in mind. So, but how do we do it? You can say, all right, I'm going to guard this new heart that God gave me with all vigilance. I'm, this is important. I'm going to guard, to guard it. Now, how do you do that? Well, thankfully, God's word didn't leave us just guessing. Um, Psalm 119.9, read it with me. How could a young man keep his way pure? Right, That's David meditating, Solomon's dad. He's meditating. How am I going to do this? How am I going to keep my way pure? How, how are you going to keep your way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So how did David guard his heart? He guarded it with God's word. David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. As you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil, not wandering from God's commandments, And you will be careful who and what you allow close. You will be careful to fight temptation, to not think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You will protect your heart from exposure to things that would poison the wellspring of your life. But you can see more importantly and more fundamental to the guarding of your heart. It isn't just what you keep out of your heart, but what you keep in it. 
you see that? Seek God with all your heart. Do you see echoes of this verse in the Discipline 1 of Wellspring? As we guard the wellspring of our heart, we must be shepherding our hearts to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. In guarding your heart, make sure that you're not just shepherding it to pharisaical, behavior-focused religion. Right? I have to do this. I shouldn't do this. But to God in the Gospel. As you do that, consider guarding your heart. That Every time you say, I must guard my heart, that you're not merely saying, I'm going to protect it from sin. But you're saying, how am I going to guard it? I'm going to with my whole heart, I'm going to seek God. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the how. So have, have you ever read, like in, in Luke 11, 24, the, the story that Jesus tells about the unclean spirit being cast out of a person or leaving a person? It says, when an, the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, In finding none, it says, I'm going to return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept, put in order. Then it goes out and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Have you ever wondered, what is Jesus talking about? Well, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about efforts apart from apart from a God-cleaning of a home, of a, of a heart, apart from God taking sin out of your heart and replacing what used to be there, an affection for sin, a love for sin, unless he takes that and replaces it with himself, um, your heart's not going to stay pure. And in, in fact, you see that the result of what comes out of a merely religious, hip, hypocritical, pharisaical efforts to keep your heart pure is the opposite. It's uh, a heart that's going to be even more filled with sin and corruption because now you don't even see yourself as a sinful person. Where is that book? It's in a couple places, but we'll say Luke 11, uh, 24. Just something to consider. It's also in Matthew 12, 43, I believe. But... Right, that's... Just remember back to Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. And with his whole heart, that's a purity of heart. Right? What does the word pure mean? Without contamination, without defect. That's why David says with his whole heart, he seeks God. It's not enough to say, God, I'm going to seek you in the morning. That's good. Right? It's not enough to say, oh, I get in the word at lunchtime. Or... When my kids are down for a nap, that's when I think about God. Right? It's, it's something that God demands. And you understand why. A, a purity of heart towards Him. You see the benefit of that, of a purity of heart towards God. It's uh, What's going to come out of your life flows from what's in your heart. And to the degree that you let sin, love for sinful things, come in and replace a love for God, Sin's going to come out of your heart. And if you're content to never replace sin, if you're content to merely hate your sin, which that's the way a lot of cultural Christianity is in the world today, right? It's, 
What's the Christian life like? Well, I need to clean myself up. I need to, the Bible's a list of rules, some people might say. I need to do less of this and more of this. Um, I need to get a little Jesus in my life. Right? But if it's, if it's not clean out the old sin, let God completely purify you and replace all those old affections with the love for Him, the result's going to be like Jesus talked about, where the end state is worse than the first. So now we're moving on to the how. We talked about that, right? About the, uh, with all vigilance. Guarding your heart is not just one task among many. Solomon commands that the way that we must guard it is similar to the way that the United States guards NORAD, right? With all vigilance, or as the NIV translates it, above all else. When the Bible commands you to do something above all else, we ought to pay attention to that. Right? This isn't a suggestion. It isn't something that would be good to do, you know, in addition to all the other things that we do. Clean the dishes, you know, put, take the garbage out, take the kids to school. You know, and every once in a while you find time to guard your heart. Uh, no, guarding your heart must be the most important task of your life. It must be done in all of life. And it must be done with more energy than anything else that you do in life. Right, so remember back to what guarding your heart actually means. It means keeping your heart pure from the contamination of sin, but pure unto God. Is that what your life is characterized by? When you say, what, what do you pursue? What do you do above all else? Christian, the answer must be, guard my heart. What might need to change in your life among just the, the way that you do what you do? Or maybe the priority of time that you give to pursue God and His Word? What might need to change to make this pursuit of God and guarding from sin be the above all else in your life? And to the degree that it is the above all else in your life, give praise to God. This isn't a religious act drummed up from your well of your heart. This is something that is flowing in you, Christian, only because God has taken your old heart of stone out and put in a new heart of flesh. God gets the glory. So like the Secret Service vigilantly protects the President, or like the United States protects NORAD, like a city protects its water supply, we must guard our hearts vigilantly, diligently, above all else. As we think about the need to diligently guard our hearts, it's sobering to consider the one who wrote the book of Proverbs in this command. Solomon, right? He, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote it, but he, he wrote it. And surely he knew the fact that if a life is to be pure and holy unto God, the source, the heart, had to be pure as well. 
Right, but being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding is not sufficient. I'm grateful that at Grace Bible Church, this language is the common common parlance. It's, it's just what, what happens. When I go to small group, I'm going to get a question like, how well are you doing guarding your heart? How's shepherding your heart going, Jake? I'm grateful for that. I need to hear those things. And if my mind doesn't go first to, how am I doing protecting from the influence of sin on my heart and guarding my heart to wholehearted devotion to God. My heart must go there. and But sometimes I'm content to say, yep, we talk about guarding our heart. Our small group always says we're shepherding our hearts. Right among the elders, we always are saying guard your heart, shepherd your heart. This, this is language among our church. Our church is convinced of the necessity of doing this. I praise God for it. Right, but MacArthur said something one time that has stuck with me. And it says, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Right, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Some truth that when you first heard it was heart-changing. Just made When you first heard the gospel, your heart welled up with thanksgiving, appreciation, love for God. I mean, when, when that city, right, that had a, a heart or a well full of poison, when they got a new one, oh, every time they tasted that fresh water, so grateful. They knew that they had to guard that. But maybe the same sun that melted the wax of our heart, if we're not careful with the way that we think about the gospel, and you use gospel words without actually considering well what they mean, you use gospel words like guard your heart without actually guarding your heart, those same words that could be once filled with power can now grow numb. Help your heart only increase in numbness, hardness. Same sun that melted the wax can harden the clay. So being convinced of the necessity to guard your heart isn't the same thing as doing it. Right? We can say, I must guard my heart. And if I say that while simultaneously not guarding my heart or caring to guard it, a callousness may build up in my soul. We must guard our heart from using guard our, guarding our heart language flippantly. You must be content. You must never be content to merely talk about guarding your heart. I must... Never just say, yep, I need to guard my heart without actually doing it. Right, so being convinced is not sufficient. Agreeing with Solomon and me regarding this verse does not automatically mean that you're guarding your heart. You could be excited about this concept. You could agree and say, yep, that's what the Bible says. That's what I must be about. And think that think that guarding your heart's done. It's something you actually must do when you leave this room. Consider Solomon with me and read 1 Kings 11, 1-4. Flip there, look there. It's maybe helpful to, to see these words on the page in front of you. 1 Kings 11, 1-4. Remember, this one that's being described is the same one that wrote... Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
This is the one, the son of the one who said, how must a man, young man keep his way pure? Or how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Solomon certainly knew, and right? If you would have asked Solomon, hey, how, how do I go about guarding my heart? I'm sure his dad told him. He knew the truth of how to do this. He was probably convinced of the necessity of doing it. He evidenced at times in his life a pursuit of this. But unfortunately, his life was not characterized by it. Look at what he let into his life. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them for they will surely turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. God's word warned him. He was convinced of the necessity of heart guarding. He did not guard his heart. And his heart was turned away after other gods. He held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old... His wives turned his heart away after other gods and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Consider the horrible effects on Solomon's heart, his home, and ultimately his ministry, right? He was king due to a series of compromises in the area of heart shepherding. What happened to his heart? It was turned. What happened to his home? A disaster. Right? Think of his kids. What happened to his kingdom? Within a generation, ripped in two. A, gener- a, a kingdom that started with a king after Saul, right? Saul, David, a king, a man after God's own heart, consistently led the nation in pursuit of God. Not perfectly. Then Solomon comes. His heart's turned. The nation turns. Within a generation ripped in two. Within a few generations, God needed to destroy the city, rip it down to its foundations, send the people disperse them, scatter them throughout the world. Actually send them into exile. God was faithful. He kept a remnant. He brought them back. But consider the effects of one lack of heart guarding and what and what that did. See, it's, we see the, dis- the wellspring disciplines throughout Scripture and the importance of guarding your heart. Solomon certainly knew Proverbs 4.23 better than me. He wrote it. Guarding your heart is much more than knowing what we must guard. 
It's much, it's much more than knowing how we should guard. And it's much more than knowing that we need to guard it diligently, vigilantly. It actually is guarding it. God has given you a new heart. And he's given you the Holy Spirit. He commands us and enables us to guard our hearts. And we must do this above all else. No days off, no higher priorities. This is a lifelong faithful process. So a question I have for you is how well have you been guarding your heart? Right, Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, so too we should evaluate what is flowing from our wellspring to see how pure the source is. This is why in wellspring you often get homework that helps you evaluate your heart. Maybe you haven't been guarding your heart to Well, today is the day. Remember, guarding your heart is to be your most important priority. Start now making that your priority. I'm going to... C.J. Mahaney is helpful on giving us instruction on the way to do this. He says, We must study our hearts in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin. If you don't watch, you will inevitably weaken. So let me ask you a few questions just to consider. And remember, as I ask these questions, what you do. So if, if, you, if you answer these questions like, no, I haven't been pursuing God with my whole heart. Where did that lack of pursuit come from? Well, your heart. <laughs> What's the solution? It's not first and most resolving. Like if, if you haven't been having your time in the Word every day, why? What are you prioritizing above God? Something. Why are you prioritizing something else above God? Well, because of what's in your heart. What's the solution? The solution isn't first and most disciplines like, hey, I need to schedule some time, or I need to get up earlier, or I need to cut this and this and this out of my life. The solution is ultimately comes from your heart. So you might need to change some of the things in your schedule. You might need to wake up earlier. But ultimately you need to do those things to pursue God with your whole heart. And then all of a sudden time in the Word is easy. Have you noticed that? That times when you're consistently disciplined to be in the Word, it all of a sudden becomes easier? Start to compromise in one area? And now all of a sudden getting up in the morning seems like less of a priority? Your time in the Word is more of a duty rather than a delight. A few weeks later, you look back and you're like, hey, I missed a few days this week. If you don't fix it, a month goes by, you're like, I, I, missed, I haven't read the Bible this whole week. And then, now all of a sudden, you're wondering why. Why is that sin popping up in my life? Where did that come from? came from my heart. I stopped guarding. If you're anything like me, I don't know if your cell phone's a ubiquitous attachment to your body. It's always there. What do you do when you have some downtime? My thumb is a good barometer for my heart, in a sense. Right? I unlock this thing. What icon do I click on? Does it meander to Facebook? 
Angry Birds Fruit Ninja, I don't know where it goes, but it's I have a helpful app here to help me guard my heart. There's a few that help me in this discipline of putting my heart before God continually in his word. One called Fighter Verses. I would if you if your phone's a continual attachment to your body, I'd recommend you pick it up. If you have a smartphone, it's basically a, a an app that helps you memorize God's word, puts a verse a week in front of you. To where you sit down and you're like, uh, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to put my heart before? Fighter verses. And it gives you a verse to memorize for the week. It, John Piper took his church through, I think it's five or seven years, one verse a week of good verses. You can do that. Um, there's a lot of people in our church now who are doing that. It's a good way to put your heart before God in those little moments throughout the day to fill your heart with God's word. Put a Bible app on your phone. Good books. Um, it's a, Like I said, my thumb is a good barometer for me of where my heart is, where my affections are. If all of a sudden I find myself meandering towards... No, I don't want to look at that verse. I want to play Angry Birds. What's going on in my heart? I'm not saying Angry Birds is sinful. It might be a barometer. It certainly is for me. Um, where else in your life can you do little disciplines of pursuit of God? How can you keep your heart pure by keeping it according to His Word? Do you have a daily time to be in God's Word? How vigilantly do you guard that time? For me, it's first thing in the morning. How diligently do I guard my bedtime so that I can get up in the morning? Um, How quick am I to compromise away at that time? What do I do with if I miss that time? Do I see this as a necessity or optional? Um, When I see sin pop up in my life, am I content to just let that stay there? Let me ask you some questions. How well do prayers reflect reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? What lures your heart away from God? Consider that. Does What do you tend to fill your time with when your heart wanders from God? What do you tend to fill your time with or not fill your time with in those seasons when you say, my heart was wholly pure to God. Consider what you did in your free time last week. What was the effect of this time on your heart? And what priorities did this does this reflect that your heart has? Does your daily routine reflect that you are regard that you are guarding your heart above all else? Consider your entertainment choices and your use of free time. If you're anything like me, these, these questions, as I consider them time and time again, they, they reveal that God's work in me is not yet complete, that he's given me a new heart, but it's not yet perfect. <laughs> But he's commanded me to guard this heart. 
And he's given me the means by which to guard it, which is pursuit of him and his word. Open up your Bibles to 1 John 3. This is sweet. 1 John 3, 2. If there's a good first verse for you to memorize, if you're not in the practice of memorizing, this is a good one. Beloved, we are God's children now. I don't want these questions to make you despair. I don't want the ongoing presence of sin to make you despair. Neither does John, right? Why did John write this? So that we might not sin. But when we do, remember you have an advocate with Jesus, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Don't look at your sin and ultimately despair. Let it move you to repentance whose ultimate result is life. Right from 2 Corinthians, talking about what godly repentance looks like. But John says here, Beloved, we are God's children now. Right now. But what we will be, it hasn't yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, right? So what we will be, you're God's child. And when God made you his child, he made you like him. When God made us his children, he made us like him. I look at my life and I say, God, I'm not like you yet. And he says, okay, but, but what we will be, what you will be, it hasn't yet appeared. When will it appear? When, we, when will we be perfect in our affection towards God? We pursue wholehearted devotion to God, but we still see sin. When will that job be done? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Right. Ultimately, when, God, when Jesus comes back, glorification, we're like him. Why? Because we'll see him as he is. It's not some mad. He doesn't say, okay, magically, I'm going to finish this heart change that I started in you when I come back. He doesn't say it's magical. He says it happens by a means. And that means is seeing Jesus as he is. That's helpful. That is consistent with the rest of Scripture that now, well, we're still his. His children, and we're pursuing Christ's likeness. What's going to be the means of our sanctification? Looking at God. Where do we see Him most clearly? In His Word. I'm going to tell you this: the same means that He has of glorification on that day when He returns. We see Him as He is, and we're changed. It's the same means that he has now. To a different degree. In a different way of transforming us into his image. Get your heart before God in his word. This book, the Bible, it's not a book of rules. It's not a book of stories. It's a book that reveals a person. It reveals God. My heart needs to see God. Yesterday's obedience, yesterday's time in the Word, it helps today. It isn't sufficient. When I see sin in my life, I know what that reveals about the source of my life. 
There's, I let something else in that came from my heart. Thank you, God, for revealing something in my heart to me. I must guard my heart with all vigilance. There's some poison in there. How do I guard it? In your word, by pursuit of you. Which is why we say, shepherd your heart to the word of God. Why? To get the God of the word. Okay, so what we must not do when we see sin is play leapfrog over our heart. Guarding your heart is not behavior modification. Speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus described the root problem. He said, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Water flowing from a poison-filled well through nicely polished pipes into a fancy cup is still poisonous. Don't clean the pipes. Guard the wellspring. Paul Tripp writes, and I'll leave you with this. He writes, if the heart, if my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or to change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, like the pain of discipline. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. He's saying that you can never get your behavior right until you first get your heart right before God. We can have the right behavior but still miss the mark by failing to have the right heart. And God took care of that. Remember, God gave us the new heart and commands us to guard it. Right? Ultimately, we must look outward and upward, surveying the wondrous cross and the Savior who died for us there. Like Hebrews 12 says, consider him. Consider Jesus in your pursuit of holiness. Consider him who died there. The Father's wrath against all our sins has been satisfied. Our position as his children has been secured. Our ultimate glorification is just as sure as if we had it now. Our old heart has been taken away. Our new heart has been granted. And this is the walk. This is the life that God's given us. He's told us what to do. Above all else, guard our hearts. Never lose sight of Calvary in that guarding. Use the spiritual disciplines to help daily focus your gaze on the Savior. Be in the Word. Pray. Confess your sin. Be in fellowship. But that must come. Pursue and constantly reinforce a love for our Savior and protection of the most valuable treasure that He's given us. Himself. And new hearts that love Him. Pray with me and then we'll, we'll break up into your wellspring groups.
God, thank you. Thank you does not seem like enough. It's not enough. But God, thank you for giving us these new hearts. I hated you. I pursued only evil continually. I didn't want you. I said I did. I, before salvation, I, I lived a life for myself, loving myself, pursuing my own pleasure, and ultimately loving sin and hating you. And you changed me. You gave me this new heart. You forgave my sin. You freed me from its power and secured an eternity of sinlessness for me. And that same thing you've done for all those here who've trusted in you. Thank you. And God, just like that city we talked about who's tasted finally a pure water, God, we've tasted you. We've tasted and seen that you're good and that you satisfy more than any of these false promises the world has. Sex, money, acceptance, success, empty promises that like a a vapor will vanish. Things that moth and rust destroy, they don't last. God, break us of any remaining love that we have for these things and replace it, please God, replace it with only increase in love for you. God, like I said at the beginning, we love you and we know that that's because and only because you first loved us. I pray that you would mark Grace Bible Church, first mark me and, and mark the elders and mark all of Grace Bible Church out as people who love you above all else and as people who are constantly pursuing you through your word and fleeing sin. God, I pray that you would be glorified through the way that these women use their Wellspring groups, that you would use this message this morning and then the next half hour for your glory, our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for having me. I pray this is helpful. Um,